there's so much to improve in healthcare that the challenge is to find the business models that will earn you enough to keep doing what it is that you're doing and to, to grow. Alexis Smirnov is the co-founder and CTO of Dialog, the leading Canadian virtual care service. Prior to that, he led the design and development of a social analytics system, incubated a semantic search engine and a platform for conversational mobile apps, as well as co-founding and successfully selling pioneering cloud technology startup. Alexis Smirnov is passionate about designing products powered by transformational technologies and bringing them to market. He believes in the near future, healthcare will be digital first. In this talk, he considers what motivated him to start Dialog, how his role changed over time, and as the startup grew. The trick, he says, is to stay grounded in the product that you're building. I started coding when I was 14 years old and uh, kind of never stopped. So I, I'm, I consider myself like extremely fortunate that, that I kind of stumbled uh, in a career that I love and never changed. So, uh, so I realized that this is this this is uh, this is not everyone's path, but uh, you know that's that's what happened to me. So after uh, after kind of studying maths and physics in, in Moscow, because uh, so I'm originally from Moscow, from uh, so I'm Russian. Uh, so there was there was no really computer science classes uh, back then. So I started kind of reading up and and really self-taught programming. So uh, when we came to Montreal, uh, then I, I finished uh, University of Montreal um, at um, a computer science and uh, and uh, on maths can be disciplinary program. And um, you know, got hired at the company and so started started really professional like professional um, uh, software engineering. And and it just so happened that I uh, I kind of ended up building uh, first versions of many many things. So sometimes you, you know, maybe it's luck, maybe, I don't know, maybe I was attracted to building new things, but it just so happened that every gig that I would get, it would be like, Alexi, we have this, this idea, let's, let's build this, this new thing. And so, um, so same happened when I joined Softimage here, uh, uh, was, a, was a big, uh, uh, big kind of leading company in, uh, in, uh, uh, in media and uh, in, in 3D. Um, uh, when when Softimage was uh, was acquired by Microsoft, uh, so we um, we essentially built a, a V1 of next generation of, of 3D software. Uh, you know the kinds of software that um, that um, that was used for to build uh, Jurassic Park movies and, and other like Hollywood uh, blockbusters. Um, and uh, and so had a lot of time, uh, like uh, a lot of fun, you know, building these systems. Uh, then uh, internet happened, so um, so. We have this, this zero knowledge systems uh, internet privacy security company um, uh, uh, um, uh, popped up in Montreal. You know, got like you know millions and millions of funding, and it's uh, it's really like a you know internet is happening. Uh, so I'm like you know let let's uh, let's do some internet, and um, so joined uh, joined zero knowledge and. Um, Built uh, again like a, a V1 of of enterprise privacy system um, at uh, at Zero Knowledge got renamed to Regal Point. It's the same company and got renamed. And uh, then dot com crash happens. Um, so there's um, there's like a, you know lots of lots of startups close shops, close doors. Um, and uh, this this was a perfect time to actually start a startup. Um, Next kind of evolution of uh, of my career was uh, was kind of getting more into artificial intelligence systems, especially in in natural language uh, space. And so I built a, a couple of semantic search engines, uh, a conversational system uh, that is that we spin off from from Radial Point and it is now hosted here in this building. It's called Smooch. So it kind of got born out of Radial Point. And and so it's it's with that kind of engineering background that I've um, ended up kind of starting Dialog. Yeah, it was more to, of a math, uh, math background, right? That led you, and then you started to get into tech and uh, Yeah, I, 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 wouldn't call, I wouldn't call math as a background. I, I think I'm a software engineer. That, that's okay. really my background. Yeah, yeah, I've learned physics and maths, but, yeah. uh, but you know, I consider myself a, a software engineer. Okay, and, and so then, uh, so you, you told me, yeah, Actually, almost three years uh, ago to, the, to this day uh, is when uh, Dialog was uh, was founded. Uh, so, do you want to talk about uh, what the company is and what uh, where you are today? So, yeah, we celebrated three years anniversary like a couple of days ago. Um, so that's uh, congratulations. <laughs> we, uh, thank you. And 
and we, um, I was, uh, had a distinct pleasure of sharing, sharing this anniversary with, uh, with uh, three of my colleagues uh, that, are, that are right here and, and many more. Um, we, we are now, I think on, on, on Slack general channel, we're like 287 now or something like that. So, um, so in three years, that, that's, uh, we have a lot of part-timers. So what Dialog does, it's, we're essentially building a, uh, a virtual care service, so a telemedicine service. And so we offer that service to, um, uh, to people who, um, who would end up with, uh, with an app on their phone and uh, maybe their kid is sick in the morning or they they're don't feel well, they would launch this app, start chatting, um, you know, jump on, on live video with a doctor, doctor would diagnose their condition, issue a prescription, uh, the, the medicine will be delivered to your door for free, you know, within 24 hours. Uh, and maybe in a couple of days, you're going to get that push notification on your phone to, and somebody is checking up on you to see if you're feeling better. And when people experience this, this, this kind of simple but, but, uh, but really, um, uh, you know, tra transformative kind of experience of end-to-end of, um, of, uh, 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 -end care, they're like, Holy shit! What just happened? Like, I I just I, I didn't spend hours in the walking clinic waiting for for a doctor to see me. Um, you know, I I didn't have to like you know drive to a pharmacy to pick up my med medication. And and it's not it wasn't been like uh, here's here's what you have here's a diagnosis here's treatment ciao. It's you know there's somebody who actually cares about me during you know my my time where where I, I need help. That's transformative, and uh, and so that's what Dialog's doing, which is particularly uh, helpful here, or uh, yes, in Canada because the, the with the free healthcare and all the benefits it has, it creates a lot of of problems with the uh, with time, and the lineups, and and uh, availability, right? Yeah. Um, and um, uh, could you tell us a, a bit about the beginnings and how the idea was formed and and um, why did you decide to get into the, this field uh, in the, at the start? Okay, um, so I was, uh, as I was saying, like I'm, I'm doing these, these um, AI kind of NLP projects and um, an investor, uh, Francois de Hortun, um, who's, um, who's CEO of Diagram, our, our uh, initial investor, um, introduces me to, uh, to Sharif and Anna, um, who are um, who are, so we, we're kind of shared a professional network. So we, we never actually worked together. Uh, Sharif and Anna worked a little bit t together, but um, I didn't work with both neither of them. Um, and uh, we we started we started talking about this this idea of what would happen if uh, if we apply technology to this uh, you know screaming problem of access to great healthcare. Um, and we would we would like think Quebec. Um, and where where the pain is like the strongest, um, on the back of our, our minds, of course, we would we would also think like it's it would be applicable outside of Quebec, but like let's let's think Quebec, and um, uh, and then we, we started kind of riffing on the idea of how like how it would look like, and uh, the idea of telemedicine service is certainly not new. So we like we haven't invented it. in the U.S. There, there's like massive multi-billion-dollar companies competing against each other, um, you know, doing this business. But in Canada, there was like nothing uh, three years ago. Um, so it was clear, uh, and and uh, Sharif was was really kind of a master of timing. Uh, kind of identified a window of opportunity in time that that if we go and build something like this in Canada, we would hit the product market fit. Uh, so so that that's how it kind of came together. Um, we we ended up with like three co-founders that are highly complementary. So Anna is a is an operational like genius, yeah, operational expert. So she she knows how to run services. Uh, Sharif is a serial entrepreneur in med tech space. So so. Uh, uh, he he knew the med tech space, and so so we we were kind of highly complementary. So that that kind of helped too. So I guess you all had your range of expertise that that all fitted well inside the the company you, yeah. had, you had in mind. Yeah, uh, and so that brings me to the the question about uh, more of your roles uh, for you as the CTO. Uh, so I'm curious to know uh, what sort of tasks and responsibilities uh, uh, that entails. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so it's, it's, it's difficult to answer this question at point in time because the role 
changes every few months. So, so if you if you take take us back three years um, three years ago, I was a I was a software engineer. Um, then I became like a, a team lead. Um, then I became maybe like a development manager, I guess. Um, uh, then I I became kind of manager of managers, um, and uh, and now I'm I'm like. I'm I'm uh, I'm taking a train to Ottawa to meet with the Ministry of Revenue tomorrow because shreds are not going fast enough uh, the the tax credits so um, so it the role changes over time as as you um, as you move forward um, but I guess the trick is to to um, as the role changes uh, to stay grounded to the product that you're building and the technology you're, you're developing and the longer you can do that, uh, I think the more successful uh, you're going to be in that role. So, so specifically now, um, I have um, an amazing team, the best team that I've ever had a privilege working with, um, that, that I'm working with every, every day. And um, a lot of the decisions are not made by me. A lot of the technical decisions about like implementation are not made by me. Uh, sometimes I would like, you know, pepper, you know, people or harass people with questions. Sometimes I, I would maybe like push people to think bigger, um, be like more aggressive or, or more, um, uh, more kind of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, more courageous. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but most 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 times it's it's really the the team that makes all all the the technical decisions uh, and. Uh, and that's uh, that's that's the way it should be. Like the the uh, the bigger the team, the um, the more you want um, people on the team to be responsible for making decisions. Yeah. So so one of your I guess your responsibilities would be to find the key people to be able to delegate those uh, a lot of the the task, right? Yeah. You, you you're right. I mean that that's that's actually a big part of uh, my role is is to to help with recruitment. Um, we we do have uh, uh, a uh, an amazing talented uh, you know re recruiter here with us, um, um, and uh, and you sh you should all meet Cynthia after afterwards. Um, uh, that um, uh, that there's there's working with the team and uh, and so we work together on, on recruitment. But I I consider uh, consider like part of my role is to, to like allocate part of my time to, to, to do recruitment. So it's, it's not just about sourcing, it's also about engaging with, with people uh, who want to talk to us. Um, it's also about reaching out to people who didn't, they didn't occur to them what kind of work we're doing at Dialogue, so explaining that and kind of pitching them. Uh, so a lot of that work is, is kind of sales, salesy. Um, and, uh, and, and in general, I, I guess the, the the bigger your team, the like the the I guess the the more you go, the the more the, these te te technical roles end up being like more like sales roles because you're you're pitching an idea, you're you're pitching an idea of of joining dialogue to 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 some uh, uh, some you know superstar. Uh, you're uh, you're pitching uh, like a, uh, an, a a technical idea of, of how to how to change or how to evolve the system, uh, and you need to convince the team that that's the right thing to do. So so a lot of it is 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 kind of sales oriented as well. And um, so I would be personally really interested in to know about um, a bit of the recruitment process or any specific criteria mm -hmm. you're looking for uh, for. Uh, especially in developer uh, employees, and uh, just for the most of the or a lot of people are studying uh, the, at the coding bootcamp. So to give us an idea a bit, if we want to look for jobs, mm -hmm. what are you looking for? What are some tips for uh, yeah. employers? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I have a uh, bad news and good news. Um, so bad news is like really hard to get hired at Dialog. Um, <laughs> so so check this out. Um, so f first you get. You get the screening um, uh, with with Cynthia, and uh, she sees right through you, and so, so a lot of people are filtered out at that point. So then, uh, what happens is, um, you know, if you're if you're lucky enough to kind of uh, get get through screening, um, you you get to to have multiple technical interviews. Uh, usually, it's a couple of people. 
uh, talking about a specific topic, let's say data structures or, or distributed system architecture, so, the, uh, so multiple interviews, then we ask you to actually write a piece of code. It's not a riddle, like some, some puzzle to solve. It's actually just a, um, we, we're asking you to solve a specific problem, uh, you know, writing clean code, and, and then you get to do a code review with these people. So, so essentially, you're, you're doing a code review of what you just wrote uh, with, um, with the uh, interviewers. But that's not all. It's, it's not the end. It's, so so there's, there's another step. Um, then, then you get back, and then you get to see people who are, um, who are maybe not part of the engineering team, and, and maybe people who are, um, who are maybe part of sales team or, or business development team, and, um, and, and also the, the, the talent team as well. And they take you through your entire career, like, you know, from the moment you're born, you know, you have, you're supposed to, like, answer questions about that moment, I guess. And all the way to to you know what brings you there, so so very very detailed questions about your your career path, um, and the amount of of stuff that comes out like when you're grilled like that, it's it's uh, uh, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty impressive. So so yeah, it is hard to get hired um, at Dialog, but here's the good news: um, there is a there's another um, boot camp uh, here in Montreal. Um, is probably a competitor to to this one, so uh, so a friend of mine is running it, and uh, and he, he's like, can you invent uh, some two week project uh, for the capstone, like the end end of term project for for folks uh, at at the bootcamp program? And I'm like, sure. I mean, um, well, here here's an idea that we're struggling with. Like, we need a we need an app that we don't have, and uh, and here's here's an idea for that app. Like we, we didn't have an app to to manage um, uh, dialogue members of an organization, uh, so we can talk about business model of dialogue. Uh, uh, so so we didn't have that. So here's here's wireframes. Here's what what an app's supposed to do. But but really, like who's uh, like we have super experienced engineer here, uh, and and so you, you guys uh, are are just uh, j just taught like people who don't have engineering background, and they they only had like. You know, a few weeks of of, of experience, um, and he goes, no, no, you, give me give me the spec, give me the wireframes, you know, I'll, and uh, you'll see, like, uh, you know, they'll, they'll take care of it. So I, I was like extremely skeptical. So two weeks later, a couple of guys show up at at the sprint demo, like we were doing our sprint for these two weeks. They were coding this app, um, you know, at at that bootcamp. So they're they're like calling it calling us up, say, well, it, it's it's done. And we're like, seriously? Um, yeah, can can we like can can we come in and, and demo? So we're like, yeah, we have a sprint demo like on that day. So come over and and you're gonna be like part of the sprint demo for for the company. So they show up and they demo uh, the app, and it it kind of works. And and it's exactly what we had in mind in terms of um, in terms of the requirements. Uh, it it wasn't it wasn't much like it was two weeks, but but it was exactly what we needed. And uh, and so uh, so one of those three folks who were coding this app agreed to to come for an interview, and he couldn't answer you know questions about um, architecture of distributed systems. He wouldn't know like all the choices of data structure, um, but he would be able to take us through the code that he wrote and explain how he built it, and was open about what. He knew what he didn't know. What was the choices that he considered and might have not considered? He was absolutely open to uh, to to suggestions of how to improve that app that he built. So he's now part of our team. We hired him, and he's he's uh, he's like he's kicking ass. Like he is, uh, you know, one one of the fastest rising like software developers, coming from a place where you are sitting now, and so. Dialog is a place where it's super hard to get hired as um, as an engineer. Uh, now has one of you as part of that that team. So think about that. Wow, that's great news for for all of us uh, doing the the bootcamp right now. 
Um, well, super interesting. Um, so you mentioned uh, the business model. Uh, so we talked about it um, a bit earlier. Uh, so you have a unique, or, or I guess a specific way, uh, uh, or a specific business model for, for your company. And do you want to talk a bit about how, how that works? And, and also, was that your business model that you had in mind from the, from the start? Did it evolve? Yeah. So I'll preface it by, by saying um, there's no shortage of good ideas in healthcare. Uh, there's, there's, there's like solution ideas is just like laying on the ground. Um, the things are, are like, there's so much to improve in healthcare that, that it's, it's not a challenge to, to find something to solve. Uh, the challenge is to find the business models that will earn you enough to keep doing what it is that you're doing and to, to grow. And, and so we, we kind of started with that realization, you know, uh, from the beginning, and we knew that if we just build a, a telemedicine service uh, and start offering it to um, to people, um, we we might not have a business. So so instead, what we did is we um, we structured it as a as a corporate benefit. So so imagine um, Ubisoft or in fact like companies in this building. You know, we have a lot of clients in this building. They uh, they offer health insurance already, uh, and uh, and then we would pitch them this idea of adding this great new benefit uh, into their, their benefits, benefits package. And so we get paid per employee per month. We distribute the service to employees and members of their family, and we serve those employees, and we get paid by an employer. So it's a, it's a B2B model where it's our B2B to C. Um, so our clients are businesses, but our customers are uh, our patient or members or employees. And so that, that was from day one that that's what kind of we started with. And we, we never really pivoted away from that model. We're still running and this is a still core part of our business. But what happened over the, over the course of the last three years is, is that we've found new distribution channels, channels for that model. So imagine you sell something like this, like a benefit like that to Ubisoft. And Ubisoft's got this Great West, um, Great West Life as a supplier of their group, uh, group health plan. And Great West goes like, what just happened here? Like they've added like a, a feature on top of the, the product that I just sold them, right? So, so let's, let's, let's give Dawa guys a call and, and check out what's going on there. So we strike distribution partnerships with insurance companies and benefits brokers, uh, and they start distributing dialogue as part of their products or, or on top of their products. And, and so that's, that's been super successful. Um, so now we're selling it directly and insurance companies are selling it, uh, selling it um, you know, in, indirectly like that. Um, so that's, that happened. The, the other thing that happened over, over the last three years is, of course, is no longer Quebec only. Uh, it's pan-Canadian. So, um, so you can get dialogue um, across Canada. We, we have clients, you know, in, in every province. Uh, we we have we, we care for members, you know, in uh, in every province, twenty four seven. So, so, so the expansion across uh, across Canada happened. So we, we we haven't we have announced this yet. So I'm not going to announce anything. But let let me just share a piece of publicly available information. One of the uh, participants of around A uh, funding is the biggest German venture capitalist firm. Um, so they, they got in and, and invested in dialogue. So, um, so when we talk about expansion, you know, international expansion comes to mind. So, um, so anyway, put two and two together. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> So let's shift, shift gears a little bit. And so we, we talked about uh, earlier um, uh, when you arrived about uh, AI. And um, I read in an article online uh, by the, the CEO, Sharif uh, Habib, is that, uh, I'm not uh, butchering his name. Um, that, so he, he was telling that Dialogue, uh, you're building uh, on your new technology, you really want to invest in AI, but you all want, uh, also want to keep your human in the loop uh, approach. Um, so, do you want to just talk about uh, what that term uh, means to you and the company, and uh, about how, how you view AI as well? So, in general, like 
AI is is uh, is not a is not some kind of uh, magical technology that that's supposed to be like overhyped or hyped. Uh, it's it's just just part of part of the toolkit of technologies that people have these days. It's a it's a powerful technology, of course. And I mean, we we view um, uh, AI as um, as uh, as a technology that will uh, that will help do two things. Fundamentally, it will uh, it will improve patient experience or members' experience. Like the the the, the customer experience uh, will um, will be improved uh, through the use of uh, of, um, of automation. And the second objective is to reduce the cost of providing the service. And when you talk about the costs, it's not so much like a you know internal driver to to like lower the costs. We can't hire nurses and doctors fast enough. Uh, the growth is like that's our bottleneck. So if if we can figure out a way for one nurse to care for ten times more people. Um, by applying artificial intelligence, that's that's a huge win. We get to distribute dialogue to ten times more people. So it's not so much about reducing the cost; it's about really um, um, opening up dialogue to many, many more people. The thing to realize about about AI today and probably in, and in the foreseeable future, it's uh, it's an imperfect technology. So, so it's a technology that makes predictions, uh, and uh, and these predictions are imperfect. So, the error is is not a bug. It it is a it is fundamental um, inherent property of the system. So, when you think about that in the context of healthcare, where safety is your number one objective, it's it's kind of um, you know it makes you uncomfortable. Like, how how would you deploy? Artificial intelligence tools in healthcare, when when this error is is inherently present in these systems, and so that's why from the beginning and 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 now in the foreseeable future, we're talking about human in the loop systems and not autonomous systems. So we're making um, these AI systems take over some of the mundane formulaic interactions, like scheduling an appointment or maybe. Answering uh, like you know 20 questions about uh, during the triage and patient evaluation, th this is not where the medical decisions lie. But the minute there is a medical decision to be made, there is a human in the loop. So that's the human is making these decisions. There's additional twist to to human in the loop. It's not just about assuring safety and security. It's also a neat way to build systems that that kind of always work. Uh, remember how, like you, you ask something to Siri, and Siri would not understand you, and it's like you take it for granted. Okay, well, of course it didn't understand me, and and you know you go about your day. But what if you had systems that always work, like magical systems that that like always work? Uh, it's it's it seems like impossible to achieve. Well, it's not really impossible if you have if you hide a real human, you know, behind that system, and so when it breaks down, the human takes over. Uh, so, so obviously in Siri it's not possible, but it, in dialogue it is possible. So what that means is these these conversations with the autonomous agents, are, you, you you can you can hand off that conversation to a human, and it's just and the human is going to pick up and and hand it back off to uh, to an autonomous agent. And so so these sorts of interactions become possible. You know the patients don't even notice. The, the, these uh, these handoff, but but the net result is kind of always works. They so that's of, that's what we mean by human in the loop. Yeah. 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 So they kind of complete the the imperfection, I guess. Exactly. Of the, of the technology. Yep. And so and uh, I read as well. So it, um, if I'm if I remember correctly, the 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 technology you're using, it's kind of a, or at least the artificial intelligence part of it, kind of does a triage system for the patients, and then it can redirect to the right resource, right? So it would give, I guess it would um, select or ask the, the patient for information and then uh, redirect to the correct nurse or doctor according yeah, to that. Right? Absolutely. That's that's an example of, of something that, that takes like 20 minutes to do. And you can take this 20 minutes out of, out of the, the patient evaluation time and reallocate it elsewhere, um, and so uh, so 
the systems that kind of generate the next question to ask, given, given all the findings that, that has been obtained to date, um, these systems kind of exist, you can train them, you can, you can improve on them, and, uh, and we, uh, you know, we, we went out and, and bought core technology for, for that system, it's called DXA, so we made, it, when it, yeah, we made an acquisition in the last three years, we, you know, we actually bought a company. So and now we're working like to improve that system every day. Uh, so so that's a, that's an example of of us kind of looking at at the opportunities. Uh, where can we improve the the patient experience and uh, and make our care team more scalable? Like we've identified this patient evaluation as is the, the you know the right right point to invest, and so we did that. And there is there are others. So there is, uh, you know, the patient patient journey is actually quite uh, heterogeneous. There's lots of things going on in that in that journey. So so there is lots of other opportunities. Um, so I'm really curious to know about what the future of dialogue um, looks to you in the the shorter and or the the longer term, and to a larger scale as well. Uh, what is what would be your vision of the future of healthcare? Uh, let's yeah. let's say just in Canada at least. So so. Future of dialogue is certainly c continues growth. Now we're three years in. We, you know, leading in Canada. Um, there are other countries in the world that um, that don't have the the same level of uh, of virtual care service that we have brought to Canada. So there is there's opportunity for ge geographical expansion. Um, so that's that's in our future. If you think about what we offer now, it um, we are at the very beginning of what we call uh, a a, a dialogue healthcare hub. We started with kind of a replacement of a walk-in clinic, so doing what the walk-in clinics do, so primary care. And we've added a mental health treatment. So now you can actually not just get a, a diagnostic, but also a treatment for that for for uh, for a set of specific conditions. But healthcare is so much larger than that. So you can imagine that hub growing over time, and that's that's one of the things we're um, we're we're really focused on doing is adding other services to Dialog, so that it becomes uh, much more than 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 a you know a, a nicer version of a walk-in clinic. It becomes essentially your your entire healthcare healthcare health and wellness hub uh, in the palm of your hand. Um, as to the vision for healthcare, I mean, is it like a large question? Large question yeah. yeah, I mean, may, maybe maybe one observation that um, that one can make in the last like t 20 years, like you, you used to, like you you can get a place to stay now at in any point in the world uh, with with a couple of taps. You can get a a cab that will arrive here like in a minute. Uh, again, just pull up your phone and and click a button. And then there's healthcare that still starts physical, like you, you have to actually like go someplace to obtain that, that quintessential service. So, so I think in the future is, is very simple. It's going to be digital first, just like, just like Airbnb did it for, for hospitality, just like Uber did it for, for travel. It's going to be digital first. It's not going to be like digital only. I mean, we still have bodies and, you know, so. Um, but it will be digital first. And that wave is, like, is, is very clearly uh, like kind of covering the world and covering every aspect of healthcare. Um, some, some, some of them are behind, some of them are slightly ahead. But tr this transition from physical first to digital first is, is very clearly, um, you know, happening. And so it's easy to predict that's that's just going to continue to happen. Um, regarding international expansion, how do you approach the cultural differences? Because if we look at Europe, it's much less popular or common that the, the healthcare is virtual. So, so I've, unfortunately, I cannot share everything um, about our international expansion strategy, but I can maybe make a few observations. Um, that, that are just like general to, to a lot of businesses uh, or services businesses, and especially in healthcare. Um, if you th like, we actually thought that we can take what we have in Canada and and just start selling it in in other countries, and that like did not work. It's maybe culture, but but it's it's also it's it's also a combination of of government regulation, um, uh, the um, 
kind of uh, economic uh, economic pressures, um, um, uh, you know, numbers of doctors per uh, per um, number of um, uh, you know people in in the country, uh, population, so the density, um, so the the pain points are different. So every country is actually quite different, but if you if you look at if you you know strip it down to to very simple basics, um, nobody enjoys you know getting to a walking clinic uh, to like see a doctor and then going back when they could have just done it on their phone. Like that is that is universal. <laughs> so your go-to-market strategy must absolutely account to to uh, to geographies. Uh, your, you know, how you sell the product, what the product looks like, who's who's paying, and to what extent they're paying, uh, you know, what the price price is, all that is is definitely, uh, you know, you, you need to think about that. You need to iterate, and you need to consider other jurisdictions are are like little startups. Essentially, you can you should say like we do not have a product market fit there, like even though we have it here. So, so let's let's iterate like crazy and find it. So, so you need to approach it as like a, a you know a startup, like a new startup type of thing. Uh, and so that's that's what uh, we've been doing. So, so yeah, I I mean I I'm not gonna like share exact strategy, um, but but stay tuned and uh, you know we're gonna be we're gonna be announcing you know things soon. Yeah. Excuse me, I actually have two questions. Sure. Uh, first question is regarding the visual barriers. When a doctor is basically examining a body, the visual barrier is huge, right? Like in, a, in your system. So how you are solving this one? And the next question is very much linked to what another colleague was just saying, because I was thinking about an expansion plan and how it would, might work. And it's like by hiring local experts, let's say in Europe, like a, creating such a something as a franchise or something like would would is it <laughs> it would this be a solution so maybe to first question um telemedicine cannot uh is not the right modality for every um healthcare issue uh some healthcare issues are are simply not appropriate for for this modality you must have a physical contact you, you must have physical exam so what we do is is quite simple. We make that um, a medical decision and a decision of a doctor as opposed to you know an entrepreneur or or software engineer. This is a, a purely medical decision, and um, doctors actually are quite capable of making that call of saying, "Look, I don't know what's going on with you. Let me re, uh, let me pull in a care coordinator." She will find you the right walking clinic for you nearby that is open right now and has uh, has the least amount of wait time. Okay, and you're gonna go there, and that's 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 how it's going to be. Or you should actually go to emergency, and this is the hospital that I recommend you go. So that that's that's what happens there. Uh, I don't know if that answers. Yeah, kind of. I'm just imagining myself being a kid and like I got a fever, and the first thing my doctor did all the time was just like open your mouth and mm -hmm. you know examining my. Right, throat. <laughs> no, but that's kind of a thing. So I cannot imagine, you know, even with a fever, asking you guys like, uh, like okay. well, to look I, into I can, my throat. I can share. I can share a high-level statistic. Sure. Seventy percent of visits to doctors do not require physical contact. Seventy. That's actually horrible. Horrible and uh, what? Quite, way? No, I'm kind of like sad. I would say. Sad? You just go well, for a medic for like a medicine to a doctor. Well, uh, if if you just analyze what happened in in the encounter between a patient and a doctor and ask the question could this encounter been safely performed over telemedicine in 70% of cases the answer is yes so, so that, that's that's you know kind of lots of studies uh, come up with that number over and over again so we we have our percentage is higher, so we out-refer um, um, less people than 30%. Um, well, I mean, possibly because people self-select, you know, when when they um, when they you know start an app and you know. But uh, but yeah, I so so I think this modality is you know if we're talking about 70%, it's a it's a pretty good modality. Like if it. If you can remove 70% of, of visits to a doctor and replace it with, um, with this digital experience, 
that's you know you're doing quite well. Numbers talk. Yeah. So um, the the expansion is um, again you 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 need to like I I don't know what the product market fit is because because you know I I can't I can't point you to dialogue operating in the country X for the last year to say this this is it. What I can tell you is you absolutely need to iterate and try different things because any any idea that you can have like you know I, I think franchise will work I think partnership with um, with a uh, with a pharmacy will work I think partnership with a network of hospitals will work like you can invent these ideas but uh, but market has this way of of surprising people so so you need to find a way to test these things um, and uh, and if if you do this you know faster than your competition um, then then you'll you know, you're gonna be okay thank you so much for a great presentation I have two questions that are perhaps a little bit divergent so maybe you can pick your favorite um, first of all I wanted to ask you uh, to your point about the market surprising you has privacy been um, a barrier to entry either in Canada or in international markets I know mental health especially, um, that kind of data is something a lot of people are concerned about. And second of all, it's really fascinating to see if wearables and using wearables to help you with diagnostics had been something that is already part of the platform or maybe something you're considering. So, so privacy has not been um, a barrier. Uh, what privacy has been is, is a focus area and an investment area from both technology and process perspective. Um, so the amount of, of work you have to do to build inherently private systems uh, with with proper controls and uh, on proper access controls, you know, at at every level, um, making sure that these systems are um, are withstand you know penetration tests uh, and like secure from from ground up, um, then auditing your you know operational processes of how you actually you know deliver the service the, all that takes tremendous amount of focus and effort and uh, and energy and without that you have no chance of being in this business so every large customer that we have um, would ask us for for SOC 2 report I don't know if you know what SOC 2 report is is, is this this you know very very detailed um, audit um, of, you know we we used uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers so they would come in and audit um, dialogue of their, their systems and practices of how, how we run the business. So everyone would ask for one of those. So without it, yeah, you're, you're like not in the game. So that's what, um, th that's what privacy, privacy impact is. It's not a, like a scary thing. It's not a, it's not a concern. It's not, it's not like, uh, oh my God, let's not buy dialogue because, because they will have private information um, so it's not like that. It's it's yeah. You have to work at it. You have to deliver. Yeah. It it's gotta it's gotta work. It's gotta be inherent to the system. And if it is, it's all good. And your your other question is uh, related to using wearables. As yeah, a, yeah, wearables. Um, so currently we don't uh, we don't integrate with wearables. I mean, you can you can certainly share uh, whatever Apple Watch uh, writes into Apple Health. You can share it. You know, uh, via dialogue with with the doctor, but it's it's a kind of a manual process, um, and like very few people do it. I think where the opportunity there is is really to create um, some of these healthcare services that I mentioned, not maybe primary care, but but these other services. Uh, for example, um, a diabetes uh, management program when you you know uh, for for uh, chronic diabetes. Um, and they have these these kind of uh, Bluetooth enabled, um, you know, sugar meter kind of uh, you know blood blood tester devices that that write into Apple Health. So those sorts of things become interesting. So so that's that's kind of one way to think about devices is is think about um, healthcare service first, and then ask the question: Can can we deliver a better experience if we had a device? Um, and uh, and so. Um, so we, you know, we've been looking at, for example, there's this other device called Tido, uh, Tido Care. Is it's uh, it's like a micro camera. You can you can stick it like uh, you know in your in your ear and uh, 
you, you can essentially diagnose an ear infection. So essentially expanding to that 70%, you know, even further because uh, because there is um, there, there's a camera that 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 sees you know inside your ear. So so these things are are, are amazing. I mean, so it it will happen. Like we we're really really very very beginning there. Uh, maybe this was addressed in the previous question, but even beyond the privacy issue, there are a lot of regulatory challenges in healthcare, which have made it difficult for startups to disrupt historically the uh, the massive market opportunity. Were there any uh, particular regulatory ch regulatory challenges that Dialogue came up against, and how did you guys go about addressing them? There's a couple of things. So, so when we started, we we had fairly intense debates about. Uh, going directly to consumer as opposed to B2B uh, strategy. So imagine just like announcing, you know, you can download Dialogue app, pay 40 bucks, you're going to get a consult on your phone. How cool is that? Um, and some, some, in fact, players on the, um, on the Canadian market do that. We, we kind of stayed away from that largely because of the belief that um, that socialized medicine is actually a good idea, and uh, we need a system that complements it rather than competes with it. And having a, a you know two two tier system and and you know two different speeds of access to great care may not be the right solution, especially if you're playing a long game and you want to become a partner to the government when uh, telemedicine becomes. Uh, a reimbursed, a reimbursable um, uh, um, um, medical act. So that that's that's kind of one decision that helped us to become a partner. Well, partner. We, we're not. Government is is a supporter or um, at worst a neutral uh, observer of what what dialogue's doing. Um, you know, we we are actively engaging uh, across um, across the country. With government uh, 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 organizations and agencies and, and ministries, uh, and um, and we're, we're going to continue to do that. Uh, so that wasn't really like that. That that's how we essentially solved, I guess, challenges. Or it could have been it could have been worse. So so we now have government, uh, you know, as a supporter. What kind of exchange do you do between your service and the open medical? So if I go for a X-ray or something like that, do you exchange the DICAM? Yeah. So uh, so every province uh, runs like a, a repository of medical information where um, where where your X-ray will be deposited, and uh, with with obviously with your permission, the doctor can read from from that repository. Uh, so so there is uh, it's it's spotty. Not not everybody does it. So it's not like 100% of, of of cases are like that. But it is possible. Um, in in a lot of cases, what happens is is we we advise you to go and do a blood test, let's say. And so so our doctor will will say, okay, so so I have I have some doubts. I'm worried about these things. Tell you what, here, um, you know, you're going to receive a, um, a a referral to to blood work, uh, and uh, you know a a place on the map where to go and and what's the good time to go there. Um, and uh, and then when you do that, we get the results back directly. So so it's most of the times actually direct um, direct return back to us. Uh, but but yes, I mean th there there is there is methods to exchange patient records with uh, with family doctors or with um, with labs and uh, and other kind of, uh, healthcare providers. Yeah. Yeah, if if you say, look, you know, we, we just talked about this thing, and you 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 prescribe me this 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 medication. I have a family doctor. Would you uh, would you share it with my family doctor? We'll say, of course. Uh, but but in a lot of cases, what happens is, um, let's say you you know you show up with, to a family doctor, or, or 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 like you end up in an emergency. People take out a phone and say, look, this is this is what I have, and and the doctor's like reads your care plan little card on your phone say oh got it so essentially what happens is you're carrying your patient record with you which is a much nicer way to to implement patient record exchanges is is putting the patient being that that you know the uh, the, the 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 owner of of the patient record just back here um, so you had mentioned that 
that nurses and physicians are your bottleneck in terms of growth. Um, and I know, having worked previously in, in healthcare, that uh, physician adoption and physician happiness are major hurdles when it comes to tools like this. So how did you approach the design and usability of the, of the product so that you didn't have physician fatigue and that you can attract physicians to join your company? Yeah, so, so we, we were just as in twofold. So first, we, we built a full stack experience. So we talked a lot about the patient experience and the app on your phone, etc. That's not all that we did. We, we built another product, which is, we call it Care Platform. So we, we in fact, and it, that product actually has m many more features than, than a patient app on your phone. So that product was built from the ground up to be that, um, that care platform designed to provide virtual care service at scale uh, with a growing team and you know, with multidisciplinary team. Uh, so that's, that's kind of one thing that, that we did you know, realizing that this is, we're creating something new here. If we just like buy some, some technology from, from last century, you know, buy some EMRs and stuff, uh, it's, you know, we're not going to create a, a nice experience for, uh, for healthcare practitioners. And then the, there's another thing that we did. Uh, we, um, we made sure that the, the value proposition to, uh, to healthcare professionals is unbeatable, and so so imagine you're you're like a uh, you know you're a doctor, you're a new mom, you're you're thinking about coming back to work, but then that clinic you used to work your work at says, well, tell you what, this is this is the your shift, take care or leave it. This is how you're gonna work, um, and then dialogue comes in and says, you want you want to work from your home? You want to work for like f four hours that day? No problem. We're gonna manage the schedule for you. You want to work from, from chalet somewhere? As long as you have internet there, you knock yourself out. So if you're like a you know, semi-retired doctor who wants to like, you know, uh, live in that lake house you know, and, uh, and practice a couple of hours just to, for, for the fun of it, we, we would gladly you know, recruit that person and offer them these couple of hours and we will take care of, of scheduling the managing, you know, managing the scheduling, the shifts and everything else. And so that flexibility is, is actually a tremendous value proposition, it's actually quite unique in, in healthcare space, at least in Canada. Clinics don't offer that kind of flexibility to, uh, to, to practitioners. And so that, that we've, we've heard time and again how, how, uh, how much they appreciate that flexibility. Thanks for listening to Lewagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. 